Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you once again for joining us on the program and for continuing to tune in every week. I, I believe it's important to hear the things we're saying in the context of how we have, I believe, over the last 100 and some programs, systematically showed you how these uh, parables, how the words of Jesus, how the words of the prophet Daniel and the prophets throughout the scripture have all completely and harmoniously fit in the context of what's happening here in the book of Revelation in the fulfillment of much of this in the first century church. If you've missed any of these programs, please go back to YouTube and uh, you can tune in there and watch them at any given time and you can uh, get a hold of uh, uh, back programs so that you can kind of catch up to where we're at so you can see it in the context. We've been carrying, talking much about the, li- the bride, the lamb's wife, and I'm going to continue again in this ser- segment to talk about uh, the marriage of the lamb and the bride, the lamb's wife. We showed you, first of all, that the espousal took place. John the Baptist was the friend of the bridegroom. He was the one who introduced the bridegroom to the bride. Uh, he was the one who gave the ceremonial washing to Jesus because one of the rituals of the whole wedding ceremony was the, uh, I think it was called the mikvah, which is the ritual of immersion. And Jesus was baptized to prepare him for the wedding. In the new covenant, the bride is also Uh, enjoys a ceremonial washing, which is first of all the washing of the water by the word, and secondly by immersion into water baptism. It is a token of the covenant, and it is part of our, if you will, marriage ceremony. Uh, It was the the bride would, uh, you uh, you know, there were several things that would happen uh, in uh, the whole, uh, let me just go back here and look at a few of my notes here, but the the marriage itself was uh, to be, uh, it had several steps to it, and uh, one of them was uh, the, the, shed, the Shadukin, which was that the father would uh, have the responsibility of choosing a bride for himself. And we covered how in Ephesians 1, God chose us in him before the foundation of the earth. The next step was the Ketubah, which was the promise of the uh, groom to support his wife-to-be and the bride stipulations, uh, the contents of her dowry or financial status. Uh, we see this described in Genesis when we saw uh, in chapter 24, the book of Genesis, it was an arranged marriage, but it appears that the consent of the bride had to be also a part of this arranged marriage. So it's not a forced marriage. You have to have some part in this. There has to be a response of faith to what has been freely offered to you by grace. And we see that even with him offering this wedding, even to uh, the Jewish people, and they did not come to the wedding feast when they were invited to come to the wedding feast. And so they were cast out into outer darkness. And then uh, he sent forth his servants to find them of the highways and the byways to come into the wedding so that the wedding would be furnished. Uh, then we see uh, the bridal payment was the mohar, and we see that that was paid by Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. We've been bought with the price. We're not our own. Uh, we see... Uh, the ritual of immersion, which we already talked about, and we saw how that, when we were immersed, that was part of our separation, setting us apart for covenant. There was also a part of this that was a, uh, a, a gift given by uh, the bri- bridegroom to the bride, and we saw in Ephesians chapter 4 
that the gifts that he gave to his bride was he gave gifts to men for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith. He has given us fivefold ministry gifts. He's also given us gifts of the Spirit, and he gives us these, this word for gifts that he gives to his bride is the same Greek word charismata or charisma. We get our charisma or charismatic or the charisma gifts or the gifts of the Spirit. I think it's incredible that in the book of Song of Solomon, when the king is courting his bride, if I could say it like this, he shows up on her porch with a box of chocolate-covered prophecies, with a bouquet of word of knowledge. He gives gifts to men. He gives them gifts so that they are part of the courtship. He is bringing her, if you will, gifts as part of his pledge and preparation for his uh, consummation. Remember that this marriage feast didn't take place in one day. It was a, it was a long period of time. They would be, become betrothed. It would become legally binding when they would drink a cup of wine. And we saw how that the cup of wine was also drank uh, the night before Jesus deceased when he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. We also see him drink of the cup of the vine in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when that was fully come that they were drunk but not on wine as you suppose. Nevertheless, they had popped the cork on a vintage of wine that had never been drunk before and toasted uh, the kingdom of God and its present reality and this engagement party, if you will. So we were espoused and betrothed to him at the cross. And I believe the consummation of this wedding took place on the heels, this is very important, on the heels of the destruction of this harlot city. Because as soon as the harlot city is destroyed, he says, hallelujah, now has come salvation and the kingdom of our God for his bride has made herself ready, rejoice. And so the rejoicing was taking place the moment this Harlot City was destroyed. We've already showed you, I think, with plenty of demonstration that the Harlot City was the one who had the blood of all of the martyrs. There's only one group of people that that fits biblically, and that's the one Jesus said in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, fill up the measure of your father's sins, because in you was found the blood of all that were slain from the blood of Zachar or from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias will come upon that generation. So the immediately upon the heels of that apostate city being destroyed, now is come salvation. That happened, ladies and gentlemen, in 70 AD. We should be acting like the bride, the lamb's wife. We should be, according to Romans 7, verse 4, that we should be married to another, even to him who has been raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. We're not going to get married. We're already married. We still have his gifts, but part of the reason you get gifts at a wedding is so you can become a, a wife and not just a bride. A lot of the gifts that are given, when we receive gifts at our, our weddings, many times we'll receive towels and appliances and uh, household goods. Why is that? Because they are the things that we need to set up house with. God doesn't take those gifts back. We continue to use them as the wife. And so his gifting to this bride in the charismata is that we can continue to be a wife to him. And what you will see later as we get into chapter 21 of the book of Revelation is that this wife, this bride, is going to minister to the nations of the earth and they're going to bring their glory and honor into it and a river is going to flow out of it. So a ministry flows out of this intimate relationship of the king 
and his bride. You are not going to get married. You are already married to him corporately as the church. It has been married to him. Individually, that transpires with us. The moment we're born again, water baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, then we experience that intimacy with him on an individual basis. But as a corporate people, the old covenant Jerusalem was destroyed and a new Jerusalem came on the scene. An old covenant passed, a new covenant comes on the scene. An old temple is destroyed, and a new temple comes on the scene in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. I think that's just absolutely incredible. One of the things I wanted to connect to that while we are here is I wanted to go to Matthew chapter 25 and show how this fits again in the context of the whole Olivet Discourse, of Jesus talking about the blood coming, Matthew 23, the blood of all of the martyrs being vindicated and vengeance coming upon the apostates in Matthew 23. And then Jesus comes right out of that, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, you, you, you testify to yourself that you're the children of them that killed the prophets. And then he weeps over Jerusalem, said, I would have gathered you under my feathers, but you would not. And then he begins to prophesy, not one stone is going to be left upon another that will not be thrown down. There's going to come wars, famines, earthquakes. You're going to see Jerusalem encompassed with armies. There's going to be tribulation such as was not since the world began and will ever be again. And then he sets a time text in verse 34 of Matthew 24. And he says, this generation right here won't pass until everything I told you comes to pass. And then he begins to deal with these parables that are dealing with not something 2,000 years out in our future, but something that occurred during that first century church as they were, uh, I mean, they understood, even the parables I've already shared with you, they understood how that, you know, when Jesus spoke of the parable of the king's son and the parable of the uh, un unfaithful stewards, the scripture said, and, and the scribes and Pharisees perceived that he was talking about them. I just wish God's people could perceive that's who he was talking about. Audience relevance is everything. He was talking to those people in that time slot right there. This ought to be incredibly good news to somebody out there. What I'm simply telling you a lot of things is that a lot of stuff that we thought was coming in our future of hell on earth has not in our future at all. It's already passed. Now, I'm not saying there's not some very real problems in our world. I'm just saying the answer to it is the bride, the lamb's wife, the kingdom of God, God's people that are to be a light to the nations and that are to be the salt and light in the world. Now, what I want to do is tie that in with Matthew 25, verse number 1 says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and, and, uh, and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish, and they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with the lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also other the virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. 
And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his own several abilities. Straightway he took his journey. Then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made with them other five talents. Likewise, he that had received the two, he gained also other two. Now see, here's the context again. And I dealt with this one about uh, the, 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 the servant and the talents in a prior segment just a few weeks ago. But these parables are all connected. These five wise and five foolish virgins. Now remember again, the betrothal was made when John the Baptist introduced the bridegroom. He washed Jesus in the waters of the mikvah, or the ceremonial washing, in Matthew chapter 3. The espousal took place, and, and, and uh, I, I, the ceremony began, the promise began to ma be made. When he took the cup of the ceremonial cup, said, This blood is the, my blood of the new covenant. I won't drink it until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then he gives the cup as the testimony or the promise, and the contract is sealed now, the betrothal contract. In other words, it would take a divorce now to get out of this. But on Calvary's cross, I shared with you how that on the cross, the blood of Jesus flowed out of his side, much like the side of Adam that had a rib opened, and a woman was brought out of his side. Out of the side of Jesus came blood and water, and now that blood and water came a bride. He presented her to himself, having washed her with his own blood and his own water, he presented her to himself, Ephesians 5 says, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. Jesus purged you. Jesus cleansed you. Jesus gave you a robe of righteousness, which was the wedding garment of Revelation 19, that's not based on your performance, but it's based on His gift. Now your promise on your side as a bride is to keep yourself spotted from the flesh and to keep your garments and to watch your garments and to live out of what you believe to be true about this righteousness and this faith to live this righteous life comes not because you think I'm going to do something to get righteous, but because I am righteous, I'm going to guard and keep what He's already done and I'm not going to, as it were, you know, defile myself by, by being joined, you know, where Paul talks about, you know, he that's joined to the Lord is one spirit. And so he said, we certainly wouldn't take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot. I think you could take that and say, listen, he's saying to them, listen, once you've been joined to Christ, don't go back and become jo joined to a harlot system of religion that's full of performance. But you wouldn't take yourself, you know, and join that which was holy to that which is unholy. What agreement does the temple of God have to do with idols. In other words, we're not going to go back to an old covenant paradigm. We're going to maintain our relationship in this new one. But they were a spouse, they were married, and then there's a gap for where he ascends up on high, he gives gifts to men. He went on a far journey. He went to prepare a place, and the place that he's preparing is in himself because a new household is about to come on the scene. And that house is not a building on a planet three miles south of Mars in Revelation chapter 21. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple therein. There was no temple there because God moved out of physical buildings and moved into the temple, uh, first of all, that He is. He's in us. We're in Him. And he, he meant to prepare us as a house because in Revelation 21, again, it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The Message Bible says, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. So the house that God prepared was us and Him. I'm in Him, He's in me. It's a new house. That's not a planet three miles south of Mars. We're already in, hallelujah, that place. But that gap between 30 A.D. and 70 A.D.
was this espousal period when these virgins, when he left, they were to be preparing themselves. That period of preparation was from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D., that 40-year transition period, moving from an old covenant to a new covenant, was that preparation period of putting oil in our lamps. Oil always symbolizes the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's because what happens in the new covenant is the old covenant was rules on rocks. The new covenant, God gives us the Holy Spirit. Say it another way. In, in other words, the, the, the 50 days after the children of Israel left Egypt delivered by the blood of a lamb in the old covenant, they come to the foot of Mount Sinai and God gives them the law. Rules on rocks, I call it. 50 days after Jesus, the true Lamb of God, is slain in the new covenant. They're in an upper room and the day of Pentecost comes and this time God don't give them rules on rocks. This time He gives them the Holy Spirit. To me, these wise virgins and these foolish virgins are the ones that moved on in preparation of expectation of the coming kingdom and the coming king that would return within their lifetime because Jesus said several times in the scripture, there are some of you standing here that will not taste death till you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. He tells Caiaphas, and from henceforth you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He tells them over and over, I think Matthew 16, you will not have finished going through the cities of Jerusalem until the Son of Man become. So these apostles, prophets, uh, messengers were sent and they were sent to, uh, to uh, uh, people to get them uh, prepared and to receive the oil of anointing, to get oil in their lamps, to become the salt, to become the light of the world. Jesus said, you're the salt of the, the earth. You're the light of the world. You're a city, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid, whereby men don't light a candle and put it under a bushel, but they light that candle so that it can be seen. The light of this city was to be seen. We were to be letting our lights shining so that the nations of the earth could begin to come and gather into this city and begin to gather to this city, which is not a geographical location, folks. It's a spiritual city. And Hebrews 11, Abraham under the old covenant was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And Hebrews chapter 12, he says, for you have come to Mount Zion and you've come to the city of the living God. In Hebrews 11, Abraham was looking for a city. In Hebrews 12, he tells us that we've come to that city. And the contrast is simply this. In Hebrews 12, he tells him, I think about verse 22, for you did not come to the mount that might be touched. You did not come to fear and trembling. You didn't come to a God who says, stay away. If you touch the edge of the mountain, you'll be thrust through the dark. You did not come there. But you are come to Mount Zion, and you've come to the city of the living God. You've already come there. Again, that's a powerful picture of the fulfillment of this bride, this lamb's wife. You have come. You are the city that Abraham was looking for that has foundations, whose chief architect is God and is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone. The apostles and prophets were laying the foundation of this city that was to become the light and the candle that would shine into all the world. When the cry went out at midnight, behold, the bridegroom cometh. Let me tell you something. Some of them that were waiting, some that were anticipating the kingdom, some were just absolutely oblivious to it. But some of them had anointing in them. They had the Holy Spirit in them. They had the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And they were invited into this wedding feast. And these five wise foolish, uh, virgins 
were invited in, and the ones that were left out are the same ones again that were left out in every other parable. They were the unjust stewards that didn't do with the goods what they were supposed to do with the goods, and it was taken to them and given somebody producing it. That was taken from the Jews and given to whether it would be Gentiles or even believing Jews were included in this. Because this new Jerusalem, this new bride, is made up of both Jew and Gentile, the middle wall partition being broken down, but they were the ones that had the oil in their lamps. They were the ones that had the Holy Spirit living in their lives. The others did not have, they, they weren't even looking for their, uh, they weren't looking for their bridegroom to come, and they were foolish. And he says, go to them that buy, and buy for yourself. But while they were going, the bridegroom came. They were received into the bride chamber, and the door was shut. That doesn't mean from future times that you and I, if we're not ready for the rapture, or we're not sitting standing looking up towards some eastern sky somewhere, are not going to be brought into this kingdom. What he's simply saying is these five wise and five foolish virgins is that the door has already been shut. In other words, the door was open to the ones who had the Holy Spirit in them. The door was closed to the ones who did not. The door was closed to the ones who were invited to the king's son's wedding. It was closed to those who refused to come at the invitation of the king, but those that were in the highways and byways were invited to the king's feast, and the feast was supplied. He rejected the apostate Israel and Jews, and he brought in the highways and the byways. He rejected the five foolish virgins. He brings in the wise virgins. He rejects, if you will, the goats and brings in the sheep. I mean, to me, these parables completely and totally fit together in the context of what's happening here so that the marriage of the Lamb is complete. And again, you know, over in the book of Isaiah, he talks about, in those days, thy land shall be called Beulah. You'll be called married. I'm telling you, there was a ceremony that took place 2,000 years ago. The death of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection fully played the dowry, fully cleansed us, fully washed us, fully presented us to himself. The period of waiting from the espousal until the consummation was the 30 years or the 40 year gap from 30 AD to 70 AD when Jesus was about to come and the bridegroom was about, and, and, and let me say this in Hebrews, not Hebrews, Revelation, the 11th chapter, upon the heels of the temple being destroyed, there is a shout and a cry and a coming of the Lord that took place that I believe. Uh, occurred in 70 AD, and if you go back and look, I think it's around program number 275 on the playlist on YouTube, it'll talk about the coming of the Lord and His coming in clouds, and there was a marriage that took place. There was a gathering together of the, uh, of, of, He was sent forth His angels. You know, again, we don't necessarily think in, in terms of angels as being fat babies with wings on, while they may include them, the Greek word is used in the book of Revelation where it talks about to the angel of the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church at Smyrna, which is simply the messenger or the angelos or the pastor. So the messengers have been sent forth in the earth, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, and they are sent forth together from the four winds of heaven. But this gathering is not to some geographical location on a planet three miles south of Mars. This gathering is a gathering out of an old covenant into a new covenant, out of an old city of Jerusalem into a new city of Jerusalem, out of an old temple into the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb of the temple here. And this gathering is a gathering 
unto him. For unto him shall the gathering of the people be. It is not a, uh, 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 you know, a, a trip to the Middle East, but it is a gathering unto him. I, I, you know, I, I, to me, these are just such powerful concepts. I, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I'm thankful that we live in a new covenant where we've got oil in our lamps. We, we, we still are the light. They're, they're, you know, the, the light is a light of a city that's most precious. It's a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. The scripture talks about that upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, the city of God had the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb in it. When you get over the book of Revelation and the Bible tells us that we were built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Uh, I, I don't know how much clearer I could make it. I think that that probably ought to be a fairly convincing argument that we're living in a place where we're not going to get married. We're already married to him. First of all, we corporately got married to him 2,000 years ago. Individually, we get married to him the moment we get born again, water baptized. We're brought right into that household of faith. We are part of that new household. We're part of the uh, bride of Christ, the Lamb's wife. And we're a city that's set on a hill that can't be hid. Don't let your light be hidden. Let it shine throughout the nations of the earth and the nations will be drawn into it. Just the fact that it tells us there's a tree of life, and I'm, I'll get to this when I get over there, but there's a tree of life in the midst of this city, and the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations, tells me that this city's not over on a planet three miles south of Mars. There must be something in this city that the nations of the earth are going to need healing for. Outside the city are dogs and whoremongers, whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. That's not on a planet somewhere. That has to be relevant to where we're living at right now. Inside the community of faith are the wise virgins. Outside are dogs and whoremongers and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. And the door was closed. And he says to them, let him that's filthy be filthy still. Let him that's righteous be righteous still. The door was closed. Judgment came. And now God gave birth to a new covenant, a new temple, a new Jerusalem, a new bride. And we are living in this era of behold, I make all things new. It's been wonderful sharing this segment with you. Uh, take a moment to call that number on the screen and sow a seed into the ministry. If you can give a generous gift, we appreciate it so much because it is what helps us take the gospel of the kingdom around the world. Don't sit there and think somebody else is going to do it. Without your help, it is impossible to continue to do what we're doing. If you like what we're doing, get behind us and support what the Lord is saying. And uh, it, as you know, we're, we're saying some things that I believe are very cutting edge. And if you want to be part of that, sow something into ministry. God bless you. Thank you for joining us this week. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.